the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Glenn producing Sam Moppin engineering today's program. Today we'll share a classic interview with Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness. And we'll take a look at the 20-year anniversary of the second invasion of Iraq. It was March 20. 20 years ago. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, a look at some of the day's headline. Well, the U.S. Senate has had attendance problems in the last seven months, with at least one senator missing from the roll call in every vote since August of 2022. The 5149 Democratic-held Senate has been reduced to a 4948 Senate, thanks to absences by both parties, with that number fluctuating from day to day, um, drawing... uh, Some, well, challenges in the upper chamber of Congress. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senators John Fetterman and Dianne Feinstein, a Republican and two Democrats, have no timetable for when they plan to return to the Senate. McConnell is 81. He's recovering from a concussion suffered during a fall. Fetterman is 53. He's receiving treatment for depression. And Feinstein, 89, is receiving treatment for shingles. Well, McConnell's um, absence has required Senator John Thune, the Republican from South Dakota, to run the GOP conference with assistance from McConnell's aides, while Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania's staff, has had to fulfill constituent requests and work on legislation for Fetterman per political. Well, the long-term absences have led to some senators feeling less obligated to show up to uh, some hearings and votes as there is no critical legislation being debated. The people's business. Thank you. Appreciate that. People feel maybe a little bit more flexibility when they uh, would if they were doing really consequential legislating right now, says Thune. Um, Then you've got people who uh, just um, who have just serious either health or family health issues. And I think you got to respect that. End quote. Well, Feinstein's absence has caused some judicial nominations to be held up because of her position on the Judiciary Committee, according to the outlet. She uh, was released from hospital earlier this month, but is currently unknown when she will return to her Senate duties. And again, she's 89. McConnell was reelected in 2020, will not be up for possible reelection until 2026. Fetterman was elected to his seat last November, but has spent significant time away from the upper chamber since being sworn in in January due to his receiving treatment for his depression, along with other health complications. Feinstein announced that she would not be seeking re-election in 2024, opening the door for a, a battle between California Democrats for the seat she has held since 1992. Well, Democrats hoped the 51-49 majority they won in 22 in the midterm elections would allow for more judicial nominations and legislations to get done after two years of a 50-50 Senate, but long-term absences have halted those plans. The Senate map for the 2024 election favors the GOP as Democrats are on defense in numerous battleground or Republican-leaning states, including Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia. I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing that they've been prevented from passing 
legislation. President Biden signed a bill declassifying intel on COVID-19's origin. And Janet Yellen says more bank bailouts could be on the horizon, although they they made uh, clear that they don't want to call this a bailout. President Biden is trying to boost pay for federal bureaucrats by the highest rate since President Carter. And the FBI devoted at least 16,000 more hours on the January 6th event than on the BLM riots in Washington, D.C., where millions of dollars in damage was actually done. Well, homeowners across the country tormented by squatters find themselves tied up in lengthy and expensive legal battles to get control of their properties. And one expert warns many others can find themselves victims as well. Cases of a deadly fungus have tripled in the U.S. from 2019 to 2021. That's according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Canada Aurists, uh, Candida Aurist, was reported in the U.S. in 2016, and cases have climbed ever since. The authors from the CDC wrote that since its detection in the U.S., CRS has continued to cause illness and death nationwide. They also said the CDC has rated it as an urgent threat, the highest level of concern because it is often multi-drug resistant, spreads easily in healthcare facilities, and can cause severe invasive infections with high mortality rates. Well, one of the authors uh, wrote in a press release that the rapid rise and geographic spread of cases is concerning and emphasizes the need for continued surveillance, expanded lab capacity, quicker diagnostic testing, and adherence to proven infection prevention and control. The CDC's 2019 Antibiotic Resistance Threats Report identified CRS as an urgent threat in the U.S. The American people might finally get a chance to see what the government knew about the origins of COVID-19, which killed more than 1.1 million fellow Americans and millions more worldwide. After President Biden signed the legislation into law that directs the federal government to declassify pertinent intelligence reports, what comes next, according to Senator Josh Hawley, is to hold federal bureaucrats accountable. A former Republican representative, Mike Rogers of Michigan, wants to bring the GOP back to the future. The former FBI agent, who later served 14 years in Congress and grabbed plenty of attention in the nation's capital as chair of the House Intelligence Committee, says his latest mission Uh, to come up with real solutions to get the country back on track could lead to a campaign for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. If he does end up running, he'll be considered a long shot against uh, former President Donald Trump and a large list of actual and potential candidates who enjoy much stronger name identification and better financial support than Rogers, who's not well known outside the Michigan uh, area or the Beltway. President Joe Biden's uh, top cabinet secretaries will be summoned to the Capitol this week to defend his $6.8 trillion uh, budget proposal for the next fiscal year in front of a divided Congress and a skeptical GOP majority in the House that's looking to cut spending next year. Officials such as Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen are expected to face partisan fireworks at GOP-led House hearings while also sitting for lines of inquiry that are likely to be more reserved in the uh, uh, Democrat-majority Senate. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back momentarily to continue to take a look at some of the headline news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, a classic interview with Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness. 
Back to the news. Uh, Democratic New York Attorney General Letitia James has filed an appeal against a ruling by the state Supreme Court preventing the state government from forcing people into quarantine and isolation if they were exposed to or infected with a contagious communicable disease. New York's Rule 2.13, or Isolation and Quarantine Procedures, was originally adopted in February of 22 and enabled New York's commissioners of health to direct local health authorities to issue isolation or quarantine orders to all such persons as uh, the state commissioner of health shall determine appropriate in order to control the potential spread of a highly contagious communicable disease. That took some doing. Well, the rule was struck down in July of 2022 by the state Supreme Court after a number of Republican state lawmakers, as well as personal freedom advocacy groups, uniting NYS, filed a lawsuit challenging whether the rule was constitutional on the grounds that it violated separation of powers within New York's branches of government. James' office, supported by Governor Kathy Hochul, immediately filed a notice to appeal following that ruling and officially filed the full appeal months later. That was on the 13th of this month, the deadline to file. Well, the Manhattan DA's case may be the weakest one against Donald Trump, according to MSNBC hosts and guests, as they're fretting that this may not be strong enough to actually indict uh, former President Donald Trump. Much speculation going on right now. We'll continue to follow the story to see what happens next. President Biden induced his first veto on a Republican ESG investing bill. The president vetoed the bill for the first time in his uh, tenure on Monday, arguing that the legislation was overly influenced by MAGA Republicans. The Republican-led legislation uh, prevented the president's administration from taking environmental, social and corporate governance or ESG issues into account when making investment decisions. GOP lawmakers argue ESG is a measure of a corporation's loyalty to woke cultural movements and should not be taken into account. The bill specifically ended enforcement of the new Labor Department rule that urged private retirement plan fiduciaries to consider ESG in their investment decisions, whether or not they were going to generate the most for their client. Associated Press reports that critics say environmental, social and governance investments allocate money based on political agendas, such as a drive against climate change, rather than on earning the best returns for savers. It's just the latest manifestation of the new relationship. The Biden is um, and Biden is gearing up rather for even bigger fights with Republicans on government spending and raising the nation's debt limit in the next few months. Xi Jinping's Russia visit shows solidarity. The Chinese leader arrived in Moscow on Monday to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin on what Beijing labeled a mission of peace. Well, the visit underscores strengthening ties between the two powerful nations and comes as Xi is trying to negotiate a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine. President Xi hailed as uh, a new era and said his first state visit to Russia since the start of the war would give new momentum to the, the relations. The visit is China's strongest show of support for Russia since the war began. President Biden signed bipartisan legislation to declassify intelligence surrounding COVID's origins. Uh, the bipartisan bill uh, that was signed on Monday directs the federal government to declassify as much intelligence as possible about the origins of COVID-19 more than three years after the start of the pandemic. The legislation, which passed both the House and the Senate without dissent, directs the Office of the Directors of National Intelligence to declassify intelligence related to China's Wuhan Institute of Virology. It cites potential links between the research that was done there and the outbreak of COVID-19, which the World Health Organization declared a pandemic on the 11th of March, 2020. 
The law allows for redactions to protect sensitivity of sources and methods, but it will provide great insight. The GOP is seeking testimony from A.G. Alvin Bragg regarding a possible Trump indictment. Now, this is an ongoing legal challenge. It's not clear they're going to get that. But House Republican leaders, including Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, and Administration Committee Chairman Byron Stile, all Republicans, dispatched a letter to Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg on Monday demanding information related to the woke DA's case against former President Donald Trump. The information Republican lawmakers demanded includes communications, documents, and testimony relating to Bragg's unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority and the potential indictment of former President Donald Trump, end quote. Well, if Bragg does indict Trump, it would be the first indictment of a former U.S. president. The basis for an indictment, especially considering the political ramifications, is dubious. Other prosecutors have looked at the facts of the case and declined to pursue legal action against the former president. Amazon is planning to lay off an additional 9,000 employees after just releasing 18,000. They're going to lay off the 9,000 in the coming weeks, CEO Andy Jassy said in a memo to staff on Monday. The cuts are on top of the previously announced layoffs that began in November and extended into January. That round totaled more than 18,000 employees and primarily affected staffers in its retail devices, recruiting and human resources groups. Amazon made the decision to lay off more employees as it looks to streamline costs. The Wall Street Journal says Amazon has also cut back on projects and pulled back investment in certain areas. Earlier this month, it confirmed it was pausing construction on a massive corporate real estate complex near Washington, D.C., that it calls its second headquarters, or HQ2. While the first phase of its project is nearly complete, Amazon had originally planned to break ground on the second phase of the project, which includes three 22-story office buildings during the first quarter of 2023. Well, the U.N. says climate ti- there's a climate time bomb that's ticking and their solutions could be economically devastating. Spencer Brown points out that the general generally pointless and chronically um, hypocritically United Nations is back to preaching about climate change rather than taking meaningful action to punish bad actions by nations such as China, Russia and Iran. This time, the global um, woke scolds of the U.N. are calling for massive accelerations of climate efforts. That include ending oil, gas and coal and redistributing wealth on a global scale to achieve its goal of net zero emissions, permanently condemning some third world countries to third world status, forbidding them the opportunity to develop and advance. The Federal Reserve juggled the possibility of hiking the interest rate later this week. With the turmoil in the financial sector and uncertainty ahead, the Federal Reserve will likely approve a 0.25 percentage point increase as this week's policy meeting that will mark one year since the central bank began the current rate raising cycle over the last 12 months. Inflation spiked to a 40 year high and only recently started to ease. But all of that monetary policy tightening has been tied to issues that are disrupting the banking industry. Now for consumers, that means they must uh, still pay a higher price to borrow while continuing to grapple with the persistently high cost of living all while suffering a crisis of confidence when it comes to their savings accounts. The Fed's current target range is 4.5% to 4.75%. Market pricing will uh, has swung widely over the past 10 days, with investors going from expecting a bigger half-point rate rise uh, before banking stresses emerged to at uh, a one-point uh, seeing rate unchanged. 
Uh, Among economists, those who predict a quarter-point rise do so without ruling out the potential for a pause. The terrorist organization Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is showing signs of weakening. Reuters reports that Britain on Monday sanctioned senior officials from the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or IRGC, including those who it said were responsible for managing the group's financial investments. Britain, along with the European Union and the United States, has in recent months issued several waves of sanctions against Iran, citing a widespread and often violent crackdown on protests after the death of young Iranian Kurdish woman uh, in uh, mortality police custody in September. At a meeting on January 3rd between the IRGC and the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini, it was acknowledged that some of the IRGC forces had aided protesters. Some commanders informed the meeting that the bulk of forces they supervised refused to stand against Iranian citizens and rejected orders to shoot at them. Mohammed Mohammadi uh, Shahrodi, the commander in charge of the paramilitary uh, seminary student group, acknowledged roughly 5,000 members uh, had exited the organization. And the San Jose Sharks goalie James Reimer declined to wear an LGBTQ jersey on Pride Night. San Jose Sharks goalie um, Reimer is under fire after he refused to wear the uh, themed Pride Night jersey ahead of his team Saturday's home game against the New York Islanders. Reimer was not on the ice during the Sharks' pregame warm-up when the team wore the jerseys. He boycotted the warm-up skate and refused to wear the jersey due to his Christian faith. San Jose Sharks say this in a statement uh, from goaltender James Reimer. Uh, he is the second NHL player this season to refuse to take part in warm-ups with a pride-themed jersey. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll continue. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. Coming up in our second hour, a classic interview with Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness. We'll also talk about the 20th uh, anniversary, if you will, of the second uh, Iraqi uh, invasion by the U.S. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. A Cuban baseball player escaped a team hotel and defected to the U.S. after the team lost the semifinals. The veteran uh, player defected in Miami on Monday, a day after the team played in a world basketball, or rather baseball classic uh, game against the United States at Lone Depot Park in Little Havana. Uh, the player, Mr. Gonzalez, who was the uh, catcher of the Cuban team bullpen helping pitchers warm up stayed in Miami after the game and didn't show up at Miami International Airport for the team's flight to Havana. He played eight seasons on the island with teams from the provinces and um, decided he had enough. The FBI is focused on J6 and not BLM. The one-sided January 6th committee and subsequent video footage of the Capitol riot have gone a long way toward exposing the A full story of the two-tier justice system at work in Washington. Conservatives have repeatedly observed the uh, discordant treatment of the January 6th rioters versus the BLM rioters. There is uh, more evidence proving that the two-tier justices are justice system rather is at play as records reveal that the FBI devoted 16,000 more hours investigating the one than the other. Making matters worse, there was only one J6 riot. While over the summer of 2020, there were numerous uh, riots across the nation. They resulted in more than $2 billion in property damage and 19 deaths. Yet the FBI put more investigative man hours into J6. This smacks of bowing to support a political agenda rather than applying the rule of law consistently and without prejudice.
Illegal immigration costs are mounting. The Heritage Foundation issued a recent report on how much the president's policy of de facto open borders is costing the American taxpayer. And while the president has reduced the amount of funding for border security, he's increased spending in other departments, such as Health and Human Services and the Department of State Migration and Refugee Assistance to the tune of $88 billion from 2022 through 2030. Another aspect of the border malfeasance is his use of non-governmental organizations that receive taxpayer money to effectively run a massive human smuggling operation. Nearly six million uh, have uh, entered the U.S. since the president took office and the vast majority face near uh, no fear rather of deportation. Former President Trump attacked DeSantis after the governor slammed the Soros-funded DA, citing hush money. The White House and Democrats unloaded on the GOP spending cut scenarios. That's just heating up. Philadelphia has reached a $9.25 million settlement with demonstrators over police tactics in the 2020 protests. And Penn State wrestler Aaron Brooks won his third consecutive individual NC2A title on Uh, Saturday in the 184-pound finals. Brooks' um, win helped Penn State clinch its 10th team title. Brooks also has three Big Ten titles on his resume and only finished runner-up in the conference in 2022. Well, the 22-year-old put his belief in Jesus Christ at the forefront after winning the title. He talked about how his faith helped him to victory. It's everything. Christ's resurrection is everything, he said after the match. Not just his life, his death and resurrection. You can only get that through him, the Holy Spirit, only through him. No false prophets, no Mohammed and no anyone else, only Jesus Christ himself. Uh, He said the Holy Spirit was everything to him and pointed out a verse from the Bible that helped him out. I'm blessed. God used me. He gave me the platform for this right here. It's all for his glory. End quote. Unsurprisingly, Brooks came under fire on social media for for suggesting that Muhammad, the founder and main prophet of Islam, was a false prophet. FBI data on good guys with guns is being called garbage as a critic finds many more cases. And New York will change what it takes for students uh, to reach proficiency on state math and English language arts tests, calling last year's lower scores the new normal. Last year, some schools posted shocking results. In Schenectady, nine, uh, or rather, no eighth grader who took the test, no eighth grader who took the math test scored as proficient. And the scores for the third through eighth grade tests throughout the state were much lower in 2022 than in 2019, a result, no doubt, of the absence of in-person learning during the first year and beyond of the COVID-19 pandemic. President Putin flaunts his alliance with Xi as the dear friends, in quotes, meet in the Kremlin. That uh, visit is expected to continue through tomorrow. Well, on this day in history, 1556, Thomas Cranmore, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, is burned at the stake for heresy. 1685, Johann Sebastian Bach is born in Eisenach, Germany. 1925, Tennessee Governor Austin Pay, he signs the Butler Act, which prohibits the teaching of the theory of evolution in public schools. Tennessee would repeal that law in 1967. 1935, Persia officially changes its name to Iran. 1946, the recently created United Nations Security Council sets up temporary headquarters at Hunter College in the Bronx in New York. 1952, the Moondog Coronation Ball, considered the first rock and roll concert, takes place at Cleveland Arena.
1957, President Dwight D. Eisenhower and British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, they began a four-day conference in Bermuda. On this day in history, 1963, the Alcatraz Federal Prison Island in San Francisco Bay is emptied of its last inmate and closed at the order of the Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. 1972, the Supreme Court in Dunn v. Bloomstein rules that states may not require at least a year's residency for voting eligibility. 1982, Michael Donald, a black teenager in Mobile, Alabama, is abducted, tortured, and killed by members of the Ku Klux Klan. The uh, lawsuit brought by Donald's mother, Beulah May Donald, would result in a landmark judgment that bankrupted one Klan organization. 1997, President Bill Clinton and Russian President Boris Yeltsin wrap up their summit in Helsinki, Finland, still deadlocked over NATO expansion, but able to agree on slashing nuclear weapons arsenals. 2006, Twitter is established with the sending of its first tweet by co-founder Jack Dorsey, who writes, just setting up my Twitter and spelled T-W-T-T-R. 2009, former Vice President Al Gore makes an emotional return to Congress as he pleads with the House and Senate committees to fight global warming. By the way, we should all have been dead by now, and the polls completely melted, according to his statements at the time. 2014, a previously divided U.N. Security Council sends a strong and united message to the Syrian government and opposition to immediately implement proposals by International Envoy Kofi Annan to end Syria's year-long bloodshed. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said in remarks today that regulators may ensure all deposits at more banks following the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank depositors' bailouts. Yellen said the bailouts were essential to safeguard the U.S. banking system and prepared remarks at the American Bankers Association on Tuesday, referencing the Federal Reserve's actions in ensuring the deposits of the SVB's customers. Similar actions could be warranted if smaller institutions suffer deposit runs that pose the risk of contagion, she said. Previously, Yellen had said similar actions would only take place for banks whose failure could pose a threat to the bank system. President Biden's $7 trillion tax and spend plan would boost pay for federal bureaucrats by 5.2 percent, their highest raise in decades and more than private sector employees have gotten. The proposed 5.2 percent hike for government uh, workers contrasts with the private sector employees who earned an average pay of a raise of 4.4 percent from February of 2022 through February of this year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is one of many examples of Biden's budget where he prioritizes the bloated bureaucracy over the hardworking family. So says House Budget Chairman Jody Arrington, a Republican out of Texas, um, in a written statement. Instead of more taxes, spending and weaponized bureaucracy, he should be laser focused on addressing his self-inflicted inflation crisis and growing the economy so all Americans can prosper again, Arlington said. If Congress approves this measure, this would be the largest increase in pay for federal bureaucrats since 1980 under President Jimmy Carter, when their raise was a whopping 9.1%. As now, that was a time of high inflation when the president was looking at getting reelected. The disparity in pay raises between federal government workers and private sector workers is even Worse, uh, since real wages adjusted for rising inflation have decreased for private sector workers by 1.3 percent from February of last year through February of this year. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next hour, a conversation with Owen Strahan, author of Christianity and Wokeness, and a, a look back at the second invasion of Iraq that occurred 20 years ago yesterday. It was March the 20th. That's coming up in our second hour. Well, during a recent interview with British journalist Pierce Morgan, famed atheist and biologist Richard Dawkins declared, there are two sexes and that's all there is to it, end quote. He added that LGBTQ activists looking to discredit the reality of two biological sexes are pushing utter nonsense. Again, a quote. Dawkins further noted that those going after Harry Potter author J.K. Rawlings for her commitment to the reality of two sexes are bullies. Well, the famous critic of religion spoke with Morgan during a recent episode of Pierce Morgan Uncensored. The host um, prompted Hawkins by mentioning how extraordinary it is that the LGBT activists and woke ideologues want um, uh, want to what they call de-gender and neutralize language. Well, Pierce was referring to a recent list of problematic words put out by the EBB Language Project, a collection of academics looking to police words that could potentially be found to be politically incorrect. The proposed list contained gendered words such as male, female, man, woman, mother, father. UK outlet The Telegraph reported. Well, Dawkins had commented on the project last month, telling the paper the only possible response to contemptuous ridicule is contemptuous ridicule i shall continue to use every uh, one of the prohibited words i am a professional user of the english language it is my native language end quote well during their interviews morgan trashed such language policing and the idea there's are uh, there aren't two sexes he declared i mean it's incontrovertible uh, incontrovertible there's no scientific doubt about this He also noted that a small group of people have been quite successful, actually, in reshaping vast swaths of the way society talks or is allowed to talk. Well, Dawkins immediately discredited the entire movement, saying it's bullying, mentioning famous people who have been demonized for going against these activists. And the renowned researcher added, uh, and we've seen the way J.K. Rowling has been bullied. Kathleen Stock has been bullied. Uh, They've stood up to it, but it's very upsetting the way this tiny minority of people who managed to capture the discourse and really um, uh, talk this nonsense. Well, upon Morgan asking Dawkins how the uh, how to combat the nonsense, Dawkins simply replied science. He then said there are two sexes. You can talk about gender if you wish. And that's subjective. Morgan asked him about people who claim there are a 100 genders, though Dawkins claimed I'm not interested in that. He said bluntly, as a biologist, there are two sexes and that's all there is to it. Subsequently, the host mentioned how Dawkins has had his career and reputation dinged for simply asking questions about inconsistencies in the left's dogma on gender and identity. Morgan said you had humanist awards stripped in 2021 because of your comments about this kind of thing. He cited the uh, tweet that cost him, which stated in 2015, Rachel Dolezal, a white woman, um, a president of the NAACP, was vilified for identifying as black. Some men choose to identify as women and some women choose to identify as men. You will be vilified if you deny that they literally are what they identify as discuss. Well, Morgan mentioned you had your award stripped because you were effectively doing what J.K. Rowling and others have said. You were just espousing a biological fact. Well, Dawkins shot back. I wasn't even doing that. I was asking people to discuss. 
Uh, That's what I've done all my life in universities. Well, Morgan asked Dawkins why society has lost that ability to actually have an open and frank debate. And the scientist and atheist replied, there are people for whom the word discuss doesn't mean discuss. It means you've taken a position, which I hadn't. I thought it was a reasonable thing to discuss. But then again, we're living in the 21st century. Well, two members of Israel's Knesset, their parliament, recently introduced legislation that would prohibit members of any religion from evangelizing, specifically trying to persuade or convert a person of a different faith, either through face-to-face conversations or through mail or online videos. The bill specifically cites missionary groups, mainly Christians, as part of the reason for the new prohibition. Well, according to All Israel News, the bill's primary objective appears to be making it illegal for followers of Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, to explain why they believe that Jesus is both Messiah and God with the hope that Israelis might consider following following him. The bill was introduced by Knesset members um, Moshe Gaffney and um, Yaakov uh, Asher, who are ultra-Orthodox Jews. The legislation, Prohibition of Solicitation for Religious Conversion, would amend Israel's penal law from 1977 to say the following. Someone who solicits a person directly, digitally, by mail or online, in order to convert his religion, the punishment, one year imprisonment, and if the person was a minor, the punishment, two years imprisonment. The proposal also says recently the attempts of missionary groups, mainly Christians, to solicit conversion of religion have increased. At times, these attempts do not involve monetary promises or material gains and are therefore not illegal according to the current law. But the many negative repercussions, including psychological damages, warrant the intervention of legislation. Therefore, it is proposed that alongside the prohibition of giving favors as an incentive to convert religion, also prohibited will be the act of solicitation to convert religion, which is done directly to a person. In other words, evangelism would be prohibited by law. So if a Christian or Muslim adult tries to convert Jewish adults to their faith, uh, they could be in prison for up to one year. If it occurs with a minor under the age of 18, the penalty is two years in prison. Uh, Simply, Christians um, apparently would not be allowed to evangelize in the Holy Land. Now, it's not clear if someone who is Jewish and living in the Holy Land who is a Messianic Jew, would be able to share their faith if this were to become law. The bill does not only make it simply personal conversion about Je- a conversation rather about Jesus with another individual a crime, all Israel News reported, it would also make it illegal for someone who solicits a person directly, digitally, by mail or online in order to convert his religion. Now, does that include simply sharing one's own testimony? Well, it appears that this uh, law, this bill, rather, if it were to become law, would exclude that. Thus, producing and publishing online videos explaining the gospel to Jews or Muslim people in Israel and to those of any other religious faith would suddenly become illegal, the news outlet reported. That also apparently would apply to books, online articles, podcasts and other forms of media that explains the life and ministry of Jesus. Well, the Knesset members who introduced the bill are members of United Torah Judaism. Um, the uh, chairman of the Knesset Finance Committee uh, is uh, one of them, and is, he's also a member of the Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee and the Joint Committee for the Defense Budget. Asher leads the Interior and Environmental Protection Committee. Well, according to All Israel News, uh, uh, one of the pair has a long history of opposing followers of Jesus, and he 
first introduced legislation to impose a legal ban on evangelism in Israel back in 1999. Although Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu apparently has said nothing publicly about the legislation, All Israel News reported, to his credit, Netanyahu has never allowed such legislation to advance or be approved in the past. The news outlet also detailed Netanyahu's strong support for the Christian community in Israel and especially for Christian evangelicals in the United States. And while he does not agree theologically with the evangelicals about who Jesus is, Netanyahu has long viewed the evangelical community as a true blessing and a strategic asset to the state of Israel and to the Jewish people worldwide. The editor-in-chief of the uh, news outlet is Joel Rosenberg, a Jew-turned-Christian or Messianic Jew who lives in Israel. We'll continue to follow that story to see if the legislation gains any traction. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation, a classic interview with Owen Strahan, Christianity and Wokeness. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. I've been looking forward to the conversation we're just about to have with Dr. Owen Strand. He's the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. It's published by Salem Books. He points out that wokeness has been a term that's widely used by the media and the left since 2014. Well, since then, the idea of wokeness has bled into the culture, into television, and now even our churches. Preachers are speaking on critical race theory, telling their congregations that silence is violence and that whiteness is white supremacy. And while these pastors might mean well, this so-called woke gospel is not true justice or true Christianity. Well, Dr. Um, uh, Strand is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and senior fellow with the Family Research Council. He's become an expert on social justice and wokeness. In his latest book, Christianity and Wokeness, uh, Dr. Strand writes about the alternative religion of wokeness, one that is far from Christ's teaching. And by diving into the teachings of critical race theory and its problematic cousin, wokeness, Dr. Strand has a simple warning to the American church. By embracing wokeness, you're embracing teaching antithetical to the gospel. And that's an important point we need to uh, to uh, ponder here today. Well, again, Dr. Strand is a provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council, earned his Ph.D. in theology from uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's the author of some 20 books, including Reenchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. He lives with his family in Conway, Arkansas, and I am just delighted that he is with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. For having me back on, I really appreciate it. Well, this is such an important topic, and I fear that many of us are using the words or even referencing some of the concepts without fully understanding what they mean or the implications of it. So this is such a timely book. And as the title would suggest, this book is written uh, for those who embrace a Christian worldview or at least have some curiosity about a Christian worldview to discover whether or not it's compatible. Wokeness or critical race theory is compatible uh, with a biblical worldview. Yes, that's exactly right. Fundamentally, wokeness means uh, being awake to the nature of America as a systemically racist and uh, unjustly unequal society. So when you wake up to that, you become essentially an activist against that situation, that complex of factors. 
And then critical race theory means uh, this, this academic discipline that signals this academic discipline that trains you to understand that America is divided along the lines of racial power dynamics such that white people effectively function as oppressors who foment white supremacy, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And people of color are, uh, are structurally oppressed people, uh, no matter what their situation is, whether they are millionaires or poor, it does not matter. That's how critical race theory approaches uh, our society. So these, these ideologies, as you very rightly said just a minute ago, are cousins. They're very similar. They're simpatico with one another, and they pose a major threat to the Christian faith today. Tragically, very few Christians are being warned about these mm-hmm. systems, and even fewer still are being trained to understand them. And so that means that the gospel and the Christian worldview more generally is in danger of being hijacked today. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize before we move on is as an African-American, I know that racism exists in this country, but I wholly reject critical race theory. One of the uh, components of it is there's no redemption. It's not a a matter of identifying racism as it exists, uh, either systematically or in the life of the individual. There's no redemption. You will always be the oppressor. I will always be the victim. There's no reconciliation or restoration. You are perpetually owing the victim, which would be me in this case. Um, And it just it's, again, antithetical to the Christian principle of redemption through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can kind of understand how it has a sort of secular pull to it. If you take grace out of your worldview, if you take forgiveness and unity in Christ out of your way of thinking, honestly, this way of thought makes a lot of sense, because it's basically a world of holding one another to account writ large across generations. Now, I don't mean to to indicate that these concepts are sound, but I do mean If you deny the existence of forgiveness, of grace, of getting over past sins, of making societal progress, if you believe that the the evils of the past can never be overcome, then this is the system for you, because it allows you basically to stereotype people, to buy into race essentialism, the, the vision that there is a hard and fast reality of whiteness and blackness, for example, that separates us as human people. And then you can live in this kind of perpetual victimhood cycle where, yes, America has real failings and sins in its past. Uh, it, it, it hasn't magically extinguished them in the present, and we're going to fight partiality in the future. But this system teaches you that America is actually more racist today mm-hmm. in 2021 than in the days of white supremacy in the 19th century. And that is a claim that shows you that we are not in a system that is actually working against racism and for justice here. We are working with a system that is pro-racism in a new form, even though very few people know it to be that. Mm. And unlike the civil rights movement, the goal isn't a level playing field where we all have equal opportunity uh, to develop our gifts and to pursue opportunities. That's that's not the goal. It is to foment the the kind of disunity that says you will owe me always and I will uh, take from you always because that's just your nature and there's no getting around it. Yes, it's very similar to when in a personal relationship we reject forgiveness. Uh, We all know that there can be hard relationships that we face. Every one of us does in some form. And we think in certain instances 
I'm going to hang on to my bitterness here. Uh, this person has come to me and asked forgiveness, but it feels freeing to be angry, uh, to, to be a victim in our own mind. In reality, that, that is to be trapped. That is to be imprisoned by your anger. And, and tragically, uh, that is what wokeness does. It traps you in a cycle of anger and victimhood where you never can move past America's past failings, especially those that were codified in law and policy. And instead, you bring the, the anger of the past into the, into the present. And you then indict people who have had no participation, let's say, in slavery or Jim Crow or segregation, and are often bewildered by the claims of critical race theory. But that's what this system trains you to do. In doing so, it doesn't free you. It's not, it's not solving the problem of racism. It's actually entrapping you. Satan is actually behind the system, and, and he loves it because there's no forgiveness in it, there's no peace in it, and there certainly is no gospel unity in the name of Jesus Christ in it. We're talking about a neo-Marxist system. Uh, Before we go to break here, can you give us a definition of critical race theory and wokeness? Yes, critical race theory is the view that America is divided along the line of racial power dynamics with white people effectively in neo-Marxist terms as oppressors, people of color as the oppressed. Wokeness is the broader mindset and mentality, I believe, that embracing critical race theory creates. So lots of people are never going to read a page of CRT, but they can be woke, which means being awake to the nature of systemic racism and inequality in America. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. The book is published by Salem Books. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing a conversation with Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Now, when you think about the broader culture, there are major concerns about critical race theory and this call to become woke. But as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I'm most concerned about the problematic elements of the church embracing critical race theory. So let's talk about why it's problematic and where you see this headed if the church doesn't wake up. Yeah, great question. As I say in uh, Christianity and Wokeness, this new book, fundamentally, this is not the way to view the world because critical race theory, if embraced, actually trains you in neo-racism. It's grounded in race essentialism, or what is sometimes called strategic essentialism. Critical race theory is not actually grounded in the Christian faith or in a foundational truth system. It's grounded in midair. Its feet are firmly planted in midair. It's a postmodern system, but it trains us to at least act as if race is a real thing. And in doing so, it then builds off of that. It says the history of America means that whiteness effectively creates a system of white supremacy that entraps people of color. And so we need to recognize this is a system that is making truth claims, not truth claims that are grounded in Christianity, uh, but truth claims that are grounded in neo-Marxist ideology. And the Christian faith speaks a much, much better word. It trains us that everybody is made in the image of God, that we have all fallen in Adam, Genesis 3, a real historical fall by a real historical Adam, 
and that we do all commit sins against one another. We do show partiality against one another, including because of skin color and background, and that is vile. That's sinful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Christian faith actually gives you the moral framework to know that racism is wrong, unlike postmodernism, which has no such foundation. Now, do critical race theorists um, see uh, CRT running parallel to Christianity in that social justice is ultimately the goal? Or do they, as neo-Marxists, reject the notion of religion or Christianity in particular as being part of the problem? That's a great question. You hear different tones from different people. Probably the best-known woke voice in America today is Ibram X. Kendi, mm-hmm. a professor at Boston University. And Kendi rejects the form of Christianity, some sort of undefined form, but he rejects Protestant Christianity for what he calls anti-racism. And he has gone so far as to say that, this is a direct quote, anti-racism is life. And what he seems to mean by that is that even though he doesn't give you a fully coherent religious worldview, actually, uh, his version of wokeness can function in those terms. If you will embrace being an anti-racist and working for social justice, through anti-racism, you will end up uh, partaking of life. You will end up fully living. So we need to recognize that what voices like Kendi's offer us may not have a fully mapped out religious worldview, but they at least are functioning as if their worldview is the true one, and and that we should not follow the Christian worldview, we should follow them. And there we see that these are oppositional systems. You cannot blend Christianity with critical race theory or with wokeness or with intersectionality the way people say you can. Now, how does this uh, align with or does it align with um, the liberal view of Christianity in which the general moral good, as opposed to the redemption of the individual soul through Jesus Christ, is ultimately the goal? Does this appeal to um, the, the, the more of a liberal view of, of Christianity? That is the point I make in the opening pages of this book. Uh, I think that this is basically a racialized form of the social gospel of 100 mm-hmm. years ago. So I, I think this is new in one sense, in that it's strongly focused on solving so-called systemic racism, which is basically a made-up concept today in America from the left. But I, I do think it has all the, the infrastructure. It, it's built on the skeleton of the social gospel of 100 years ago, which we thought in Protestant circles basically died out. Georgina, it turns out that the social gospel is not dead at all. No, It's back. It has a new spin. It has a strongly racial spin. Uh, that fits our age, because everybody in America is terrified of being even called a racist. If you even throw the charge of racism in many people's direction, they they will fall to the ground. They won't think it through. They won't defend themselves. They won't separate genuine partiality, true racism, so-called, from from fake racist charges. They will simply flee. And uh, anti-racist and woke voices and critical race theorists know that. And very, very few people will respond to the system. Very few people will destroy the stronghold in a second Corinthians 10, three to six cents. And that is a huge part of why the racialized social gospel 
is advancing so imperially today. Mm. And why your book, uh, Christianity and Wokeness, is so important right now so that we can understand what's happening. And the fact that, from my perspective, this is a devilish plot to try to weaken the church and undermine God's calling on his people. Now, can you explain the concepts? You kind of touched on them a little bit. The concepts of white privilege and white supremacy, which, again, are used to bludgeon uh, Caucasians in our culture. Yeah, white privilege basically means that because white people are the dominant group, the majority group in American culture, there's just a horde of benefits that they have that people of color cannot have. So America is not an equal society um, because wokeness functions out of the, the ideology of, of neo-Marxism, and it believes that everybody should have equality of outcome. It believes that fundamentally to even have a majority culture is basically wrong. So white privilege is a very bad thing. I say this in the book, Georgine, but I think much of what woke voices call white privilege and indict as sinful and wrong is simply a function of having a majority culture. Mm -hmm. Most countries in the world have a majority culture. And there are some societal norms in Japan or in Russia or in Nigeria uh, or in Canada, places in Canada. Majority culture should not be understood as perfect, nor do I think, at least in a lot of places, should it be understood as inherently fundamentally evil. It's really a blend of things. But what critical race theory and wokeness do is poison majority culture, weaponize majority culture, and tell us that when you have a lot of white people, you have this condition of white supremacy. That's the second term you asked about. White supremacy does not refer to burning crosses in front yards anymore. It refers to what happens when white people are white out in public. And that means that white people are constantly transmitting the biopower of whiteness. Uh, They're committing all sorts of what are called microaggressions in conversation, where because they are the the majority group, they are effectively oppressing people, whether or not they ever say something racist or do something racist or not. So as you said a minute ago, this is a devilish system because it tells you that you are inherently racist as a white person or if you're somebody who hasn't challenged white supremacy. And then if you deny that you're a racist, it says, see, your denial proves that you're a racist. So it has you either way. It has all the exits covered, and that's one of the ways that it shows that it is uh, a bankrupt system. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation this afternoon with Dr. Owen Strand, the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. And I'm so honored to have uh, Dr. Owen Strand uh, as our guest this afternoon. His book, uh, most recently, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. I think there's something appealing in general to believers who want desperately to be relevant in the culture, who want to address uh, issues of wrong and to try to set them right. Uh, the, The phrase social justice just appeals to the Christian heart where you want to to see things um, uh, repaired. And yet um, there is a move afoot that uh, would 
would draw us in and draw us away from what the scriptures teach. And I appreciate so much what this book, Christianity and Wokeness, does in helping to inform us not only what it means, how it's infiltrating the church, but what we can do uh, to stop it. Uh, Because as followers of Jesus, our primary concern, I mean, the culture is going to go uh, its way. But what I'm primarily concerned about as a Christian is what does this mean for the church? And are we being distracted and and lured away from what God is calling us to do? Now, Dr. Strand, do you think that um, uh, there is a purposeful indoctrination happening in the media, in the culture and schools and even in our churches? And what does that mean for believers and the church moving forward? Yeah, there are hard forms and softer forms. The harder forms are typically in our public school classrooms today, where critical race theory is definitely being taught. Uh, The left has reacted to the backlash, the just backlash against CRT and wokeness by saying that conservatives in the far right are making CRT this boogeyman, and and they're they're protesting that um, teaching against racism is happening in schools. And, and for the far right, doesn't want to acknowledge racism. Again, it's, it's, it's creating this boogeyman. That is not at all the case. Um, CRT is very clearly getting into our schools. To give just one example, the Buffalo school system uh, was outed through internal documents uh, as teaching that white people are effectively white supremacists because the kind of ideas that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so this is out there. This is, this is, this is in the mix. We should assume it's in the boardroom. Uh, it's, it's now increasingly in movies. It's in public schools. It's in entertainment. And it's definitely getting into the church. In many cases, it gets into the church in a soft form. And that's, that's the way it works with the social gospel as well. Very few Protestant pastors are going to stand up and give an hour-long diatribe about critical race theory in, in a pro-CRT way. What they're going to do is they're going to Christianize it, and that's compromised, but they're going to say, we need to think through white fragility, white privilege, white supremacy. We need to think about um, uh, systemic racism and structural inequality. And that's the way that, that wokeness is getting into the church today, through the usage of those terms and then through literature that promotes this worldview, even though many pastors will say they're not themselves fully woke or fully pro-CRT. They're just trying to introduce some of the ideas for consideration. And it's through such weak and compromised leadership that the church is being influenced by the woke social gospel. Hmm. My next question was going to be, what are some of the signs of a woke church? And you've answered that question. But how can we address our concerns with church leadership? It it can be awkward. It can be uh, challenging, strained. How can we approach as parishioners and, and perhaps among our listeners today, some leaders in the church? How can we do that in a way that's consistent with a a Christian worldview, but addresses what's going wrong? Great question. As I say in Christianity and Wokeness, my new book, life is too short to sit under unsound doctrine. So what you need to do if these ideas are getting into your church, and you will be able to tell, you will know when secular sociology is coming into the pulpit and, and the preacher is no longer standing upon the Word of God. If you hear the kind of ideas that we have talked about in this show, Uh, then indeed, you are hearing wokeness talking. And I would encourage your listeners, and I know you have many, to make an appointment with their pastor, their elders, whoever it may be, and sit them down and graciously talk through their convictional concerns. And if the leadership does not change course, does not repent, that's what they should do, 
uh, then it is time for you to find a new church, and you should do so uh, with wind in your sails, because you do not want to be taken captive by godless ideology, Colossians 2.8. And if you have a family, as many folks will, you don't want them to be taken captive. You want to sit under sound doctrine, and you want to sit under the ministry of Christ's gospel, which is not a gospel fundamentally of, of racial hostility. It is a gospel of fundamental unity through the blood of Jesus Christ. What's at stake if the church veers off course, as it sometimes does, uh, with critical race theory and becoming woke, reflecting the culture rather than the gospel? What's going to happen is what happened 100 years ago with the social gospel, which tore through evangelicalism like a tornado. Um, Basically, the social gospel took over many churches, many schools, many seminaries, many institutions, missions, agencies, and so on, and it corrupted them. And it caused many uh, one-time evangelical institutions to stop preaching the gospel of the new birth and to start preaching the gospel of cultural change. And to this day, the American mainline is still dying on the vine because of the, the introduction of the social gospel roughly 100 years ago. If we do not want that to happen in our time again, basically 100 years later, uh, we are going to have to fight like crazy not fighting out of hatred of flesh and blood, uh, fighting out of love, love for God, love for God's truth, and love for image bearers and church members we don't want taken captive by these ideologies. We know how this story plays out. It played out just a hundred years ago. There are books, dozens of books, written about the effects of the social gospel, and uh, it's going to happen again. It is now playing out in real time again. Satan is using a racialized social gospel in our day. And it is time for every Christian to get to the ramparts. It is time for every Christian to get to the wall. One of the major ways you can do that, whether you are in ministry or not, whether you ever spend a minute in a seminary class or not, it does not matter. You can get equipped on these issues. You can read a book like mine, Christianity and Wokeness. You can pick up Bodie Bauckham's Fault Line. Mm-hmm. You can get Jeffrey Johnson's What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice. And you can get equipped. And then you can start talking to people in your church, in your social group, in your workplace, in your school, and you can take a stand. And oftentimes, you actually don't need 6,000 people to take a stand for it to be effective. In many cases, the fire is lit by just one person in a community, in a church, in whatever environment it may be. So do not think that you are too small for the task and that God cannot use you because perhaps you may not be in ministry. That is a lie. God will use a Christian as salt and light in incredible ways if we will stand on the Word of God. Amen. We're talking about Christianity and wokeness. I should mention that you have a recommended uh, recommended reading list, which is very helpful. You have some secular sources to understand wokeness uh, from proponents, as well as understanding wokeness from non-Christians and to answer wokeness for Christians. So that's in the book, as well as a glossary of terms, as you're hearing them used to understand what's meant by them so that we can speak clearly and with understanding about this this issue in our day. Once again, the book is titled Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel 
and the way to stop it. The book is published by Salem Books just out, and I would highly recommend you read it if you want to be relevant and understand what's happening in the culture. I think you need to, to do so with, you know, on your knees praying, God, how would you use me to speak truth to the culture and to the church uh, as needed. Uh, Dr. Strand, I am so grateful for you and your willingness to stand on truth and equip fellow believers so that we can honor Christ in our day here in the 21st century. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, those are very gracious words. I appreciate you very much, Georgine, and thank you for having me on. Thank you. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, yesterday, March the 20th, marked 20 years since the second U.S. invasion of Iraq, Operation Iraqi Freedom, which George W. Bush defined as a mission to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defeat the world from grave danger, or rather to defend the world from great danger. One can't possibly um, sum up those two decades or even come close to the conclusion about the war and its aftermath, but we can offer an analytical look at the pros and the cons. Nate Jackson wrote a piece, Iraq, 20 years later, that did just that. He writes, over the course of U.S. involvement in Iraq, 4,586 American service members paid the ultimate price, as did roughly 3,500 contractors and civilians. Another 32,455 military personnel were wounded, some losing limbs or sustaining other lifelong serious injuries. That's to say nothing of PTSD, broken families, and other ramifications. What did their blood and sacrifice achieve? Well, the Iraqi civilian death toll is estimated to be somewhere between 100,000 and 500,000. Many of them were Iraqi Christians, of whom there are now far fewer than before the war. Millions of people were displaced, often by the subsequent rise of ISIS. To be clear, Iraqi insurgents and others were responsible for the vast majority of civilian deaths, not American military personnel. Nevertheless, what did this loss of life and possessions bring? American taxpayers spent hundreds of billions of dollars in Iraq. What did this expenditure of treasure buy? Well, the answer to those questions are complicated. One result has been a dramatic shift in public opinion regarding foreign wars. As Mark Alexander recently wrote about Ukraine, U.S. intervention at various levels can be a pretty mixed bag, and that yields vacillating public response. That was certainly the case in Iraq. The war in Iraq was popular at the beginning when the Bush team, Bush and his team, led the Secretary of State Colin Powell. They made the case that Iraq, part of what Bush called the axis of evil, had spent years violating international rules about weapons of mass destruction and supporting terrorists. The overwhelming majority of the American people rallied behind them. We were, after all, still unified in the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attacks to take the fight to the enemy and what we dubbed jihadism. Um, rather than face them here on our shores. Well, there's no question that Iraqi strongman Saddam Hussein was an evil and brutal despot. His genocidal record and warmongering in the Middle East, as well as his attempt to assassinate George Herbert Walker Bush, were tangible threats to U.S. national security interests. Well, since his execution in 2006, the world is better off, and Iraq is in many ways a better place now than in 2003. Not in every way, but many ways. More importantly, Iraq is no longer a threat to the U.S., though it's true we'll never know if it could have um, what we could have been uh, achieved without war. A year after the 2003 invasion came in 2004 election, the Democrats wanted to oust Bush. 
That meant turning hard against the war many of them had supported. Political divisions um, here fed what became a tough slog in Iraq as the insurgency drug uh, dug in for a long war in which jihadists knew they could out, uh, outlast fickle Americans. The insurgency is exactly why Alexander and others argued back in 2005 that we should stay in Iraq for decades. An essentially permanent military presence there would help secure our interests. Well, today, only about 2,500 American troops remain in Iraq in advisory and training roles. Democrats failed to turn public opinion in 2004, though by 2008, the story was far different as the nation grew tired of war. By 2013 and 2014, Barack Obama withdrew from Iraq, led directly to the rise of the Islamic State. That caused more civilian death and posed a great um, threat to U.S. security, as did Hussein's regime. It took years to crush the caliphate. Obama's uh, malfeasance, coupled with failures in Iraq, also enabled the rise of Iran. The failures in Syria and Libya can be likewise traced to Iraq. When Donald Trump won the Republican nomination in 2016, it was largely seen as a repudiation of the Bush era, perhaps foremost in the arena of national security and foreign policy. Trump called the war in Iraq a big, fat mistake, and that's a quote, by the way, and Republican voters supported him. Very few Americans today still stand by the decision to invade Iraq. So was it all a mistake? In some ways, President Bush and Secretary Powell thought so. Both men certainly lamented that the weapons of mass destruction, key to justifying the war, were never found. I knew the failure to find WMD would transform public perception of the war, Bush wrote in his memoir. While the world was undoubtedly Safer with Saddam Hussein gone, the reality was that I had sent American troops into combat based in large part on intelligence that proved false. That was a massive blow to our credibility, my credibility, that would shake the confidence of the American people. No one was more shocked or angry than I was when we didn't find the weapons. I had a sickening feeling every time I thought about it. I still do, end quote. By 2005, Colin Powell called his February 2003 WMD speech to the U.N., a blot that will always be part of my record, adding, it was painful, it's painful now. Whether Hussein's weapons were expended, squirreled away to some other location, or never existed in the first place, is still the subject of some debate. What is not up for debate is that Saddam used chemical weapons against both the Iranians and the Kurds in his own nation. And he never gave up trying to produce or procure weapons of mass destruction. Team Bush and its defenders largely tried to make the most of Powell's you break it, you own it, so-called pottery barn rule. Since we deposed Saddam, we might as well focus on building an allied nation. Well, that turned out to be far easier said than done in the Arab Islamic world. Nation building is now largely considered a discredited fetish of the establishment neocons, which helps explain the growing skepticism about involvement in Ukraine. As was said at the outlet, uh, outset, rather, the object isn't the final and comprehensive case for or against war in Iraq. The stakes were definitely made primarily in ascertaining the truth about the war's justification and in managing the post-invasion battle to stabilize Iraq. The war itself had consequences, and not all of them were good. But it's revisionist history to suggest that we should, we should have known better or that nothing good came from the U.S. intervention in the Middle East from 20, or rather 2001 until today. 
Moreover, it dishonors the sacrifices made by American military personnel, both the ones who came home changed and scarred and the ones who never made it back home at all. Again, yesterday marked the 20th uh, anniversary, the 20 years since the second U.S. invasion of Iraq, Operation Iraqi Freedom, which George W. Bush defined as a mission to disarm Iraq, to free its people and defend the world from grave danger. I am reminded of scripture in which we are reminded that a day is coming and it may be far off when we will not only engage in war no more, but we will study war no more. There will be no need for military personnel. There'll be no need for weapons of mass destruction or otherwise. And um, those weapons will be made into plowshares, as the as the uh, prophet wrote. I look forward to that day. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. want to thank um, James Blend for producing today's program, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.